Welcome to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we continue the conversation that started on Sunday to help you become more like Christ throughout the week. I'm your host, Clay Wright. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. My name is Clay Wright, and it's great to be joining you in a little bit of a new yeah, setting. I like it. <laughs> so uh, this is, you know, we did not remodel Pastor Jim's office, uh, which is where we were previously recording, and we loved that space, but uh, decided to move into a little bit of a new home. I like it. So uh, we're yeah. we're excited for all that God is going to do in this space and in these conversations, and we're excited to continue to invite you along. And uh, if you're mm -hmm. thinking to yourself, not sure what they're talking about, come check us out on YouTube. We've got a, a YouTube channel as a church, and on that channel, we post the cutting room floor uh, via video for you guys to enjoy there as well and to engage. Uh, so check it out if you haven't before and see what it is that we're talking about. Um, but I'm here. We're in a new space, and I'm here with Pastor Jim as he goes to take a drink. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be here. Yeah, it's good to, good I to see you. I love to sign it with you. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we're getting back into, uh, getting deeper into Luke chapter 6, mm -hmm. which is where we've been studying as a church. Yeah, for several years now. And uh we're, we've been in the Sermon on the Plain, and we spent some time in the Beatitudes, the Blessings and Woes, uh, which Jesus uses as an introduction to his sermon, and he does the same thing in a very similar passage in, in Matthew chapter 5. Mm -hmm. And now he's, he's really getting into what some people would call the body of the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, what I find interesting as I study the Sermon on the Plain is that uh, people try to break it down into these sections, which which is possible. You can break it into the introduction and then the body, and you can sort it by topic. And yet, it's it's a lot different than some orators would 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 have spoken or would have mm. organized their content throughout yeah. history. Mm -hmm. And and so I wondered as we get back into it, maybe we can read the text. And then if you could share with us, you know, what, how is Jesus organizing the content or, or what should we know about the way he's speaking okay. as an order getting into things? We can do that. Um, so uh, if, if, uh, if you've got your Bibles, we'll read from Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 27. Again, we're just coming out of the blessings and the woes. And we'll read a big chunk that then we're going to study over the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I have this... Um... I have the text in larger print. <laughs> there you go. It's just Luke 6, 27 to 36. There you go. <laughs> uh, and Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. These are the verses we, we focused on this past week. But he continues. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the others also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Mm -hmm. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Awesome. Yeah. 
there's a <laughs> there's a an episode on I think that almost ended that may have ended the season of uh, the chosen mm-hmm. that has Jesus uh, practicing the Sermon on the Mount mm-hmm. and you know, walking around and thinking carefully through what, what he wants to say and and then practicing it and um, I, I don't know if I've talked about this before on this on the, the cutting room floor but I, that bothers me I don't I don't I don't agree with that Jesus did that. Mm. Um, I, I don't mean that to say that he never thought about what he was going to say. Sure. But I don't think he planned it out as much as they have pictured him doing so. Yeah. And which I think uh, fits with uh, more of our Western style of sermon preparation and yeah. Western style of teaching and lecture preparation. And uh, first century Judaism um, and other. Uh, sometimes it feels funny to call Israel Eastern or Near Eastern, but that's how it was referred to, the Near Eastern ancient world. Yeah. Uh, or sometimes even the, the word Oriental. Uh, we think of Oriental as more Asian, but in, in uh, those days, people uh, historians referred to Oriental as anything in the Middle East and, mm. and Far East. So um, Jesus being raised in more of that kind of world and worldview they would have seen teaching as coming from a uh, you know, your whole body of knowledge and you sharing that much more in a much more organic way hmm. versus you saying, okay, now everybody open your notebooks, turn to, to point one, okay, you know, point two, <laughs> you know, point three. And there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I use that style because sure. it, I've discovered it helps people uh, remember things and helps people organize things. When I first started to preach, I um, I'm more of a flexible person, so I was very unstructured, and and you know, and both in my leadership and in my teaching, I was very unstructured, hmm. and uh, I discovered that it it frustrated some people to try to follow me when I was as unstructured as I was. Yeah, you know, I was like a pinball machine bouncing all over the place, <laughs> and so just just out of um, you know, this is the way I've changed a lot of things in my life out of a, an attempt to be more um, effective to the audience I was speaking to, I became more structured in my speaking and in my leadership. Hmm. And um, so Jesus is uh, speaking to an audience that's used to more of a, uh, we might even use the word random, but that that's not uh, the best word to use to describe Jesus because random doesn't sound like it's thought through at all. Right. You know, it's thoughtless almost. Yeah. Uh, but he would have been thinking and speaking in a much more organic way. So as I talk, you know, um, this thought goes here and that thought goes there, like kind of like the way Paul writes and, you know, in, in his epistles. And so, you know, when you look at Jesus' teaching, as I said Sunday, it's not like there's four or five different kinds of uh, people we're supposed to love, you know, number one, enemies, number two, um, <laughs> those who insult you, number three, those who love you, you know, but that's kind of how I've broken it out Yeah. just because I want to try to pull as much meat from this as possible. And if, if I talk on the first Sunday about, you know, things that we're going to talk about later, it's like, you know, it's like, for instance, you're teaching in two weeks. Right. And I want to be careful. I don't take your, steal your thunder as well with the other campus pastors. Sure. Like verse 31 is a, is a very significant verse. Uh, do unto others, or verse 32. No, verse, what is it? 
Yeah, verse 31, do unto others as you would have them do to you. That's like the, the most like the centerpiece of the text. I'm not covering that, although I wish I was. That falls the week that all the campus pastors are teaching. Right. And so I broke this up in a way that fits our style of teaching, which is series. Uh, we're trying to cover, you know, Jesus spoke this in about a minute. Right. We're going to spend four weeks, five weeks, six weeks on it. And to try to not only give us opportunity to dig into it deeper, but also to to um, to to kind of uh, keep a structure that we can all follow along instead of mm -hmm. each week kind of darting yeah. around. Yeah. So that's that's it's, it's one of the things that I, mean, I don't want us to think of Jesus's and other first century teachers as their teaching is wrong or, like I said, random or mm -hmm. scattered. Yeah. Or or unintelligent or oh, anything like right. that. Right. Which. It's you know, just us looking at things from our Western eyes, exactly, and we're so yeah um, egocentric. Mm -hmm. We see everything as like our our way is the right way. That's right. <laughs> well, and and you see that it's so deeply embedded. Even <laughs> like when you study the history of the church, it's so funny. Before I had some serious classes in church history, I don't know that I even realized that the Eastern Orthodox Church existed. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> I just it never we never talked about it. Um and so the I if you look at the Eastern Orthodox Church, it the, some of these similar themes come up where mm -hmm. they're much more comfortable with mystery mm -hmm. and uh, a very uh, organic uh, development of things. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the West in the West, the the Roman Catholic Church developed this, you know, sort of like the Roman legal system, all these structures and rules and canon law and all that sort of stuff, which has deeply impacted the Reformation, which we, we yeah. us reformers spent 500 more years with the Roman Catholics <laughs> than the Eastern Orthodox did. So yeah. some of these you know, comparisons reign true even today. Well, and even that Roman um, legal system, that Roman structure, that uh, Roman way of, that Latin way of doing things was influenced by the Greek world. Mm. So that's why we historians almost always talk about the Greco-Roman yes. influence, Greco-Roman culture, because you almost can't separate right. them. Right. Now, obviously, you can before, you know, the the rise of Rome. You can talk about the Greek world. That's, you know, for sure. There's lots to be said there. But once you get past, um, I don't know, um, past around 200 uh, B.C. or 150 B.C., now you're into the Greco-Roman world, you, and you, they're almost so blended you can't separate them. Yeah. And so the great Roman Empire was very influenced by Alexander the Great and his empire. Yeah. And it's when we, when we think about so Jesus delivering this sermon in a very Jewish, very rabbinic, very Eastern way, mm -hmm. you can see some of that contrast come through as well in some of Paul's letters where yeah. he's saying yeah. you know, people are kind of dogging on him because they're like, you're not really – speaking the way that we're used to mm -hmm. you're not speaking with power Corinth, the, yeah uh because the corinthians presumably you know we they we're making an inference but they may have been more used to a greek style of oh, oration sure. that was more structured it was definitely they, they you know you think back to your liter literature classes with pathos ethos right uh the other one i can't remember <laughs> um, um pathos ethos and yeah tell out you know, some of some other greek wow. but it's your appealing emotionally you're appealing uh by your rank or you're appealing intellectually maybe yeah. it's it's a greek rhetorical style yeah exactly it, but I, you're right i've lost the other I don't, it's a log it's not 
It could it be Lagos is maybe one of them because Lagos is more than just word. Yeah. Um, but there's still another one, Pathos, Ethos, and what is the it? <laughs> we gotta we but... need to have a fact checker on set <laughs> just for. Can we put this on pause while we go check this out? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. I guess we could do that. We could have them cut it if we want. Uh, it ruins the whole yeah. appeal. We're just that's kind of true. flying as we go. Yeah, we could have them do like the, the, the TV static noise for a little bit. <laughs> no, Joy will scold me when I get home because she was a literature major. But <laughs> She'll tell we'll you what they were. Yeah. Suffice it to say, uh, you, know, we, we, you, you can see the the sort of breadcrumbs of these of these differences in yeah. the scriptures. And I think the thing that I want to come back to and emphasize is is the egocentricity that we tend to exercise. Um, before there was American exceptionalism, <laughs> there was this Western worldview that, you know, we see yeah. things rightly. We're advanced. Those are primitive cultures. You know, we're advanced cultures. And this is true in so many different ways. One of those in rhetoric and one of those in communication. And mm. uh, I think that's a huge misnomer. I mean, if we were going to talk about the mathematic world, just look at the pyramids. Talk about yeah. primitive. Yeah. Well, those are primitive people, you know, are you know, Stone Age, you know, almost, you know, and they invented, you know, the technology to create the pyramids. Mm -hmm. Hello? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're still trying to figure that out. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, I, and I'm not, I'm not ignoring the fact that there absolutely was some, a lot of primitive things. Sure. Um, but in some cases, they were more advanced than us because they didn't have some of the technology we have. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and the things like that. Anyway, so, so speaking, Jesus speaking, he's, He's using a rhetorical style or he's using mm -hmm. a communication style that would have absolutely connected with his crowd and they wouldn't have been thinking, hey, where's the points, you know, yeah. and they would have been able to connect with and, and identify, okay, loving of enemies is not necessarily the same thing as these other kinds of loves. I see what you're doing. You're mm -hmm. contrasting. Right. And, and so what we're doing when we're breaking these down is we're breaking down the contrasts mm -hmm. and... Again, the sermon that you guys preach, uh, which you guys haven't written yet, but you guys are going to be talking about how to love those who love you. Well, that that needs some attention because mm -hmm. there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. So I don't want to get into that. That's got that's your guys'. That's uh, yeah, it'll be exciting. <laughs> I, I I kind of have am just starting to dip, to dip my toes in, and well, one of the one of the <laughs> questions that I'm wrestling with that all, that is also relevant for the whole passage mm. is the question of what is so of the things that Jesus is saying in this section, talking about, you know, loving your enemies. Um, well, let me back up a little bit. Uh, at the beginning of your sermon, you told the story of, and you may have to help me, Yusuf. Uh, Mossab. I've got it written um, down. Hassan Yusuf. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mossab Hassan Yusuf. You told his story mm -hmm. and about how he was so struck mm. by the contrast between Jesus's way of relating to enemies yes. versus the way that he had learned growing up as a as a you know Muslim following the teachings of Islam, mm -hmm. and uh, and and yet as you study uh, you know in, in critical scholarship or or in commentaries, a lot of folks will say that many of the things that Jesus was saying uh, have. Uh, you know, analogs, you know, there, there are other, <laughs> there are other folks who were alive at his time or who preceded him, ethical mm -hmm. teachers, things like that. There's mm -hmm. some passages in the old Testament or in mm -hmm. the Apocrypha 
that say similar things to what Jesus is saying. So the question that I you know, want, want to raise is what of what Jesus is doing here is new or mm. unique? And mm. should that bother us if Jesus is borrowing things from the Old Testament or from other contemporary teachers? Uh, it doesn't bother me. Um, you know, all truth is God's truth. And so, Amen. <laughs> so, you know, Jesus was a man of his times. And mm -hmm. so uh, by the fact that he's referencing other kinds of teaching um, without footnotes, uh, <laughs> you know, it doesn't make him a plagiarist. You know? yeah, I was about to say they didn't have plagiarism laws <laughs> back in the first century. Uh, but I mean, that was actually a very common way of rabbinic teaching is that you did quote either by name, Rabbi Hillel says, yep. mm -hmm. or it was such a common teaching that you quoted and everybody knew, oh yeah, you know, Shammai taught that, Hillel taught that. Um, and it was, it was a very common teaching. So, you know, sometimes Jesus uses that as a contrast, you know, like in the Matthew passage, you have heard that it was said, or oh, he's referring to Old Testament teaching, he's referring to current rabbinic teaching, mm -hmm. and then he's contrasting so that he's acknowledging that. But other times he is using um, uh, contemporary teachers, contemporary rabbis, um, and building on that or incorporating that. And so, uh, again, just like Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law in the same way. I'm not coming to abolish all teaching. There's a lot of good teaching around sure. here. Um, so, you know, and that doesn't take away from the uniqueness of Jesus. Sure. It just, it's, you know, I think similar to us, um, one of the reasons Jesus was so easy to understand is because he did call upon other teachers, other images, things people could connect with. Mm -hmm. If everything, if everything he said was brand new, there's no, you know, uh, t there's no way to hook onto what he's saying. There's yeah. no handles. You know, right. There's no connecting points. And so I mean, he's just being a good communicator. Yeah. And, you know, for sure, one of these statements you guys are going to end up covering in verse 31, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Um, New Testament scholarship has discovered uh, that that's not a unique phrase like people thought it was you right. know, years ago. Mm -hmm. That's actually a phrase either in the positive or the negative. Don't do unto others as you would have them, as you, as you would not have if, them, if you would not have them do to you. <laughs> yeah. something like that. Um, it doesn't bother me in, in, in the least. Yeah. Um, I, it's it's funny when I I remember first discovering that and it did bother me mm. I was like oh I don't no I want it to be you I want it to be you know everything that you Jesus said. Knows. <laughs> but but um, at the same time I I totally agree with a lot of what you're saying that one of the marks of a good teacher is being able to shift our perspective on things that we take for granted mm -hmm. and so the the ability of Jesus to bring these ethical teachings into a new mm. context a new perspective that sheds new light or that exposes them yeah. for what they are um, speaks to his uh, prowess as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I believe that's one of the things that he's doing in the whole Sermon on the Plain is that he's, he's casting vision for how to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. and that is uh, well, still, still not totally unique to Jesus, but that's, that's, that was the heart of his message. Mm -hmm. Um well, I think also he is able to correct some misconceptions mm -hmm. that came up with the common teaching. Yeah. You know, so I think one of the great examples is um, loving your enemies. You know, was Jesus the only one who said that? I, I mean, 
I don't know of anybody else who said it, but that doesn't mean it's totally unique, but it certainly is unique in the language of the Old Testament. Now, there mm. there definitely is language that talks about, uh, you know, not returning evil for evil. Right. You know, there is language about uh, not uh, in the Proverbs about, if, you know, getting slapped and turning your, your cheek. And, you know, so there's there's other kinds of things like that. But, but uh, again, Matthew does a much better job of connecting this to Old Testament scripture. And we're going right. to talk about this this Sunday with the Lex Talianus or Lex... Yeah, Lex Talianus, uh, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth teaching. Mm. Um, and how yeah, Jesus is not going to trash that teaching. I'm going to get into my stuff here. He's, he's going to say, <laughs> that has its place. Right. And t- sometimes New Testament teachers, preachers, uh, misunderstand what Jesus is saying, that he is abolishing the whole eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's a real common interpretation. I don't think Jesus is saying that. It's not just me. There's plenty of other New Testament scholars who are saying, no, Jesus is saying that has its place, like in a court of law, because yeah. that that teaching, believe it or not, was actually a merciful teaching because, here I go, I'm getting into next week's, is that there was, since there were no rules and no guidelines, when you punched me, you know, I would go out. You know, I would go to the nth degree. I'd be, I'd cut off your ear. I'd gouge out your eye, mm-hmm. and it would be like, whoa, whoa, that's you went, you went way overboard. Yeah. And so, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, sounds to us like you know, get it back, everything you got. But actually, it's it's limiting the kind of interesting reaction that you can have, and mm-hmm. it's saying, no, 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 don't go overboard as you retaliate. Um, and then, so Jesus is saying, when when justice is being dispensed. Make sure it's an eye for an eye, a tooth yeah. for a tooth, a hand for a hand, whatever. Hmm. And it, it got twisted to be, you know, take retaliation into your hands. Yeah. Uh, whereas Jesus was m- making it more about when, when you go to a court, when law is being, you know, enforced, when justice is being dispensed, which happened at the city gate. Yeah. Do it in a, a compassionate way. Do it in a, uh, in a restrained way, which you know, even in itself was a new teaching. Hmm. So it's yeah. hard for people to believe this, but Mosaic law was actually a gentler way and a kinder way of yeah. dealing with injuries. And and the other element there is the Mosaic law, obviously, you know, we, we, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but you get the, the distinctions in the Mosaic law mm-hmm. because the Mosaic law was not just a moral law. Right, exactly. Although it was, mm-hmm. but it was also a civil law. Ceremonial, so, yeah. You know, it's... Uh, yeah, all those nuances. I'm, I'm excited for for this series for for a lot of reasons, but part of it is to talk more about some of these topics because I think it's you know especially you're, you're you're bringing up a lot of things on Sunday that are that are um, people are really interested in hearing about. So, for example, you're talking about um, you know the the how, how Christians ought to interact with Muslims, which mm-hmm. I know we're going to talk more about mm-hmm. in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, talking about uh, even the the Israel Palestinian conflict, which I, I don't know what your plans are to to address that more or not, but 
this is one of the difficulties is you're looking at these national conflicts mm -hmm. and Jesus is teaching a, a, a personal ethic and how does that apply to these broader issues? Mm -hmm. uh, and those are all really valuable questions that I think are worth talking about. They are, yeah. <laughs> so and that's why we never run out of things to talk about. <laughs> yeah. I don't. So I don't know. Do you want to talk about any of that now or, or are you going to cover I, I, that later? I'm going to cover some of that later. So okay. yeah, let, let's talk about that on the cutting room floor episode, episode for those sermons. Great. Okay, good. Because I, I, wasn't, I wasn't totally sure. I just wanted to. But some people may be wondering, you know, are we going to talk about that? The answer is yes. And that you know, means that, that's going to keep them listening to the sermons and keep them tuning into the episode. That's right. That's right. Well, so and I do have a little bit of a question along those lines. Uh, you we're talking about, obviously, we're, Jesus is speaking into a first century Jewish context. Mm -hmm. And uh, and, and you, you said when he, the audience that he was speaking to would have no question about who their enemies were. <laughs> right. And uh, honestly, it's <clears throat> it's very unique uh, as Americans that we don't have this automatic jump to, oh, these who are who my enemies are because so much of human history has revolved around these cycles of violence and these cycles of hatred mm -hmm. and you know, identifying enemies and then going out to conquer or destroy them. So um, you know, we've enjoyed some peace in America to some extent. I actually think those days are fleeting, Clay, uh, because the reason why it's true that America doesn't, as a, as a general rule, I'm going to just be real, you know, glump all of America together, yeah. which you should never do. Um, <laughs> but the reason why, as a general rule, we don't, uh, we're not good at rushing to identifying our enemy is because of the Judeo-Christian ethic that informed yeah. so much of the teaching, the ethics, the law, the the manners, the the way of living in our country. And as we move farther and farther away from the foundations and the influence of the Judeo-Christian ethic, uh, we're going to see, and we are seeing, more and more people who are able to instantly identify their enemy because they were not raised in or shaped by that Judeo-Christian ethic, it's leaving our country. It's, it's decimating, yeah. uh, dissipating. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why you're seeing more and more riots and more and more re, you know, reactions that are just like, oh my gosh, yeah. you're, you're, that's, you're, just, you're, you're, you're going overboard. On the other hand, you know, there's also deep frustration. I don't want to, again, paint all riots. There are lots of times riots happen because people are so frustrated that we don't deal with it. We don't act with it, act on it. We ignore it. And they feel like the only way we can get people's attention is to riot. You mm. know, I, I disagree with that, but I understand where they're coming from. It's coming from frustration. Yeah. No one's listening to our voice. And so, um, but again, I'm getting off track back to the whole idea of the first century could easily identify multiple enemies. Um, and as we said, you know, a Roman soldier, um, and uh, or or a Roman battalion, you know, in their city or in their province, right? And so, you know, it wouldn't be so much that you know you're a Roman centurion whose name is Clay. I, I hate you, you know, but I, not because your name is Clay, but because you're a Roman centurion. So I don't I don't have to have a relationship with you, or you didn't have to actually offend me, mm -hmm. or or you know mistreated me, but your you know your comrades did. Your your uh, other yeah. Uh, in the Roman language, your other 
uh, compatriots. That's, <laughs> I don't know if that's right either. Your other people in your battalion, you sure, know, sure. Your, your teammate, yeah. And so you know, I hate Romans, mm. and you are a Roman. I hate you. you know? And I think so. Here's an interesting thought. Maybe you know, mm. you can tell me if it's interesting, but I'm sure it is. <laughs> we talk about ancient, so. In America, we're a very individualistic culture, and so we yeah. tend to think about enemies in an individualistic sense. That's not necessarily true because yeah. there has been more tribalism yeah. at play in America. But by comparison, back in the first century, it, it, you know, we we tend to contrast it with they were much more of a communal culture. They were, and so did that impact how they viewed enemies? Sure. Um, it just added to the amount of enemies. So they, they still had personal enemies. Okay. You know, you did this to my family. I hate you. You did this to me. I hate you. I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to retaliate. Sure. But in addition to that, there was the communal, the tribal, the um, the, the the racial, you yeah. know, the Jew versus Gentile. Oh, my goodness. You know, so it just multiplied the amount of enemies that I have <laughs> instead of it just being personal. Yeah. Um, or retaliatory, it's also corporate. And that's a little bit of what I was trying to get at with the far and distant, or close and distant. Yeah. Uh, close and far. And, and, and also then the, also the, uh, the personal and the political. Uh, right. And in the first century as well as today, you know, there are more and more people, in a, especially American politics, who, you know, tweet as if they hate you because you're of another political party yeah. you know uh I mean, sometimes i will read examples of social uh email uh, social media whether it's instagram or whether it's a tiktok or whether it's a, a, a facebook post or whatever and i'm thinking to myself you really don't feel that vengeful do you i mean really that mm. is that just your, your your visceral reaction that's coming out and, and you know some people might say well yeah that's giving that visceral reaction is giving us the true picture of what's going on but i mean you read the words and you're like oh my gosh you know yeah you're really really vengeful you you really want to do that to that person and mm. so it's hard to it's hard to tell where that line is because we can get away with so much impersonal yeah tweeting and texting and uh, responding because what i would never say to you face to face I can say, you know, with my thumbs <laughs> right? quite easily. Yeah, I do think that anonymity, it's its like we, it's, it's so funny. It, it, this is just a theme that keeps on coming back up. We're the most connected and yet we're the most lonely. Yeah. We're the most connected and we're the, we're the least connected. Yeah. And, and it's those, yeah. Sociologists are telling us the more you spend time on social media, the lonelier you are. Yeah. Which is... Seems seems like it ought to be the opposite. Exactly. Right. Um, and I think, you know, when, mm -hmm. when Romans and Jews texted in the first century, they were much more careful about the rules of texting. And, That's right. And things, they, they were more those. restrained. Yes. Some of them didn't didn't text at all, as, as that, a matter of fact. The truth is, a lot of them didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think it's helpful for us to think about some of those sociological ideas, uh, because it can help us to recognize why is it, mm -hmm. as you said, that I have, I have these weird feelings when I think about enemies, you know, mm -hmm. I, I've been, I, I was raised in a Christian home and I, you know, okay, I, 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 maybe I do have enemies, but I, I think about it in these strange ways. 
uh, well, some of that is sociological influences. Yeah. It's not wrong. It's mm-hmm. just different. And so we, there's, there's a lot of power in being able to name that, recognize it and say, oh, you know, I'm thinking about this as a member of a group, or mm-hmm. I'm thinking about this. You know, I, my, my view of this has changed because I tend to think of myself just individualistically, mm-hmm. uh, so on and so forth, because that can help us to, to identify and be honest with ourselves. Okay, who, who are my enemies? Mm-hmm. Who are the people that I'm harboring animosity toward? Yeah. Who are the people who I'm, you know, I'm trying to brush it off, but really, no, they, they are showing animosity toward me. And I think we want to do that for two big reasons. Number one, as disciples of Jesus, because we want to obey his command. Yeah. We want to put into practice that. But then as I tried to say Sunday, also from a merely self-preservation to to, to lance the toxins that mm-hmm. are building up in our body yeah. and our mind and our soul that are just poisoning us. Right. Um, we need to you know identify, okay, let me do a little bit of work here, soul work. Who are my enemies? Yeah. Instead of rushing to, I don't have any. Mm, or, yeah, maybe you don't, but you might. Right. Or even taking the position of, well, I'll wait. This is really helpful information. Next time an enemy comes around, yeah. now I know what to do. You know, that, that's, I think, how I've always read this. <laughs> okay, it's like, good. okay, well, this is, so this is preparation for later. But if we s- flip the script and maybe if we imagine Jesus having said, you know, go out and find the people who bring you the most joy and just bless them. <laughs> that would be a that would be a sermon that maybe we would all say, oh, you know what? Yeah, let me spend some time thinking about those people so I can yeah. seek them out. <laughs> but we're not, you know, he's That's, not saying to make enemies so that you can follow this. Good. But uh, I think there's fair game, absolutely, to seek out yeah. uh, who our enemies are in order that we can live like Jesus. Well, I got a, I'll make an anonymous, I got a, a social media response um, this past week from someone who said that as the sermon progressed, they realized, oh my gosh, I have hostility towards this other person who I would never have thought that I did. And because this is a godly person that I know, they they, they leaned into that instead of going, no, I don't, no, I don't. They yeah. went with it and recognized that was the Holy Spirit convicting. And so that's that's the way to handle this. That's the mature way is, is you know, well, maybe I do. And, and I guess I do. Okay, Lord, I want to deal with that. Versus that pushing, no, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't have right. any, any enemies, no possible way. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> one of the signs of maturity is that when, you know, we all sin, right? So one of the signs of maturity is that when I am faced with sin, I, I acknowledge it. Right. You know, yes, <laughs> yeah. for sure. The, the, the more mature you get, the less you should sin. Right. What I've discovered is the more mature I've got, the more I realize how complex sin is, how deep sin is, yeah. and I, I sin less in the ways that I did when I was immature, mm-hmm. but I still sin. Yep. And maybe maybe sin more, I'm more aware of my sin because I'm like, oh my gosh, it's deeper than I realized yeah, and, right. and more complex than I realized with things I didn't yeah. understand when I was younger, more immature. And that that's true about our Christian faith. That's also true generally. Like, if, yeah. you know, a really good woodworker is really good because mm-hmm. he's able to identify the weaknesses in his craft and yeah. amend them. That's so the, it's, the, it's the woodworker who turns in his project not realizing the glaring mistakes. <laughs> that's the immature woodworker. Right. Uh, so it's same thing, same thing with believers. You know, the, the quicker we can realize it and respond to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another concept in your sermon I wanted to pull out, which is this idea. There's there's kind of two ideas. The first idea is like the cycle of violence, mm. which is uh, I think the language you used was 
the um, the chain of evil, mm. cycle of violence, chain of evil, those, those sorts of ideas. Mm-hmm. And then the second was a quote where you said, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. The reason I want to bring this up is because I believe that in society, it's very common to explain away the warring between different groups on an evolutionary from an evolutionary and materialistic per- perspective. Mm-hmm. So people will say human beings have this in-group defense mechanism mm-hmm. where we want to defend people who look like us or people who think like us, people that we know, um, because we're trying to preserve our DNA pool yeah. or because you know, there's this animalistic tendency to to look out for... Survival of the fittest. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so they would say all all wars and all difficulty between people is just an outplaying on a on a national scale of these animalistic evolutionary desires. Mm-hmm. What's the Christian response to that as we're thinking about human nature and then ultimately how we can yeah. uh, you know lean into the new nature? Well, some people might be offended by this, but uh, I do believe in evolutionism. It's small e, and in mm-hmm. that things evolve. Sure. I do not believe in capital E evolutionism, you know, evolutionism. Yeah. So, so yeah, as the human race continue progresses and con- let's say continues, sin evolves, you know, mm-hmm. and um, systemic evil begins to become a thing. You know, there's not systemic evil in the Garden of Eden, but by the time you get to the days of Noah, there's systemic evil already developing. And so it has, sin has evolved towards that because sin does not dissipate it grows violence does not dissipate violence begets violence it when you we're going to talk about this this next week when you re, when you respond in a retaliatory way you're escalating the violence mm. and so you know it's it's like um what's the second law of thermodynamics that things are entropy is happening that things yeah. wind down well you know that's not true for sin sin grows it's a cancer it's a cancer, and it will continue to grow unless it's dealt with. Mm. And so as it grows, it evolves. It, it, you might say matures. It develops. Right. So in that way, you know, that's the Christian response to, you know, the evolution of sin, of sin uh, that, you know, small e. Yes, we, we can. And some people can't bring themselves to say that because I just said the evolution word. You know, Christians <laughs> don't use that. Come on, relax, you yeah. know. Yeah. But it's good to identify. Sure. I'm not talking about capital E evolution um i mean development is you know things evolving things growing mm-hmm. developing so um <laughs> as our world you know, I, again i use the word progresses and it feels like we're not progressing in so many ways we're regressing but as we move towards a, a theological end you know just like Paul said, sin will get worse and worse. Day, you know, days will get more and more evil. Um, things will begin to happen in relationships that will become more and more ugly. Yeah. You know, he predicted that. Um, the world will not get better and better. It will get worse and worse. Mm. Now we're slipping into some eschatological you know, viewpoints. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, look around. <laughs> uh, it's Unless the gospel invades... A culture, a group, uh, sin just goes gets deeper and deeper, gets worse and worse. More and more destruction happens, yeah. and uh, we end up destroying ourselves. What's What's so interesting to me about this concept, talking about these cycles that, if not interrupted, they will lead to destruction, 
is that in a lot of contemporary literature and a lot of popular movies uh, or TV shows even that people love, a lot of it has to do with initially it, the, the conflict is presented in a very simplistic way where mm -hmm. there's the good guys and the bad guys. Mm -hmm. But as the story progresses, yeah. you begin to see, okay, mm -hmm. well, the bad guys have motivations as well. <laughs> so, for example, you know, in the, the Avengers universe, Thanos is a great example of an of a villain mm -hmm. who at first you think he's just this you know murderous tyrant of evil yeah it, it, but then you come to realize that there's you know his home world was destroyed because of overpopulation and these, these sorts of things so it's like hurt people hurt people exactly hurt um action figures hurt action figures <laughs> yeah but uh it, there's this I, the reason i believe that those <laughs> stories do so well and are so compelling is because they they are getting something right about the story of the world, mm -hmm. which is that, um, you know, things were intended to be a certain way. They have not gone that way. And as a result, there's the we, we live as damaged people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you can see, let's just stay with your whole comic world, sure. the, the adventure and, and, and larger than that, the Marvel, the Marvel world, you know, in the early not that I'm a historian of comic books by any stretch of the imagination. I don't even, I don't even have one <laughs> and I was never a big comic book fan, but you know, I, w I was a big Superman fan. Sure. And so, you know, early, <laughs> uh, Superman movies and other kinds and comics, you know, it's real, like you said, real simple black and white, you know, good person, bad person. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, a reflection, I think of you know, how people, you know, saw that things are, are really, really simple. And as, we began to see, you know, there's more complexity to that. It also began to make us wonder, you know, will this world get better? And, you know, if you, if you think back to, like, for instance, the end of the 19th century, so, you know, the 1800s, yeah. there was this growing, you know, sense that, you know, the world's getting better and better. We're, you know, we're on the edge of, you know, this industrial revolution. and. Yep. You know, we're we're getting rid of of this disease, and we're we're getting better at this, and life is getting better. And you know, it's because the human the human race is evolving and getting better, and you know, people are becoming better kinds of people, and you know, it's just getting better and better and better. And then what happened? World War One. Yeah. And and we descended into the most vicious kind of. I mean, World War One was a bloody gory hand-to-hand -hand combat war yeah that just rocked the world of the of the theologians and the philosophers who kept in educators who were like we can just continually educate people to be nicer and nicer and and you know we're getting better as a as a as a race as a people mm -hmm. yeah. and they couldn't I mean, how do you deal with the carnage and the I mean the the violence, and that's just not a strong enough word of World War One, and it just set everybody back to like, no, we're not getting better. We're yeah. our, we are we are we are deeply evil, and when pushed and threatened, we will resort to these animalistic, you know, fight and flight um, impulses, mm. and um, and I think there is uh, two kind of streams. Have there are still people living in the ignorance of we can get things better and better. We just have better technology now. There's better, better revolutions that will affect us, and we will eventually get rid of all evil and get rid of all diseases. And they're back and buying into that old lie. Yeah. 
in the meantime, there's also another stream that are have learned something from World War One and realized that there's a complexity about the human mind and the human soul and and evil, and it's not simple. Yeah. And th- there's almost two streams of literature and media that are exploring those two things. And mm-hmm. some people like the simplistic, you know, there's a hero at the end and everything gets resolved. And others are like, oh, things were left unresolved. And I'm, I like that, you know, because that <laughs> fits, fits my life, you know, it's right. unresolved. And, you know, it's almost like we're creating two different kinds of moviegoers and yeah. book lovers. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> I guess in some sense, when you think about the biblical story, there are elements of both. Yeah. Because in it, maybe in a meta narrative sense, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not that God and Satan are equal opposite forces, but there is a sense in which God is at work to <clears throat> heal what has been broken in the world. So th- th- that's a black and white issue. There's good versus evil. There's kingdom of light versus kingdom of darkness. That's right. Right. And yet within every human heart, there's this mixture mm-hmm. because we're, you know, we, we have a sinful nature and yet we're made in God's image. And right. so we have this, you know, which Paul talks about this tension in, in Romans chapter seven, um, and that's what that's what can make our personal relationships so difficult because we can be tempted to demonize people, mm-hmm. to write them off. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons I so appreciated your point about how can we go about humanizing people who are different from us, mm-hmm. who look differently from us. I when I whenever I teach anthropology, which is the the doctrine of what the Bible teaches about humankind, I always this is my main point. If I've got one, one lecture to talk about it, my, I end it by talking about how if we could just treat people as though they were made in God's image, yes. it would change the world. Amen. Because yeah. that, that allows us to, um, it just, it, it, it stops us from objectifying people yep. and, and reminds us of the humanity of one another. And when I can objectify you and de- dehumanize, humanize, humanize, dehumanize you. <laughs> I'm more comfortable with my violence against you. I'm more comfortable with my, you know, immoral treatment of you, um, which opens up a whole nother <laughs> world of, you know, pornography, for example. You know, oh, yeah. if I can depersonalize that person, then I can rationalize my immorality that I'm committing when I, you know, look at magazines or engage yeah. in pornography in any kind yeah. of way. And that's that's one of the reasons why uh, uh, acknowledging the sex trafficking industry mm-hmm. and the role that the porn industry plays oh, in my. it, why that is such a powerful tool for men yeah. and, and women to learn is because it helps us to humanize people. Yep. So, and, and that's the, the, the worst thing that pornography does is the, the dehumanization of, of, of women, mostly, absolutely. but men too. Absolutely. Uh, and it gets back to what you were saying about anthropology. The, the, the first and foremost thing we need to teach is everyone is created in the image of God. Uh, and that's also, you're right, it's a, it's a theme of my ministry as well, that I keep coming back to that again and again. It's just, it's so central, it's so fa- mm-hmm. now no, so foundational yeah. uh, for, for our doctrine of sin as well as our doctrine of salvation, yeah. uh, as well as our doctrine of, of, of sanctification. Absolutely. You and know? this is... This is one of the reasons why I loved the way that you brought in the Martin Luther King Jr. quotes mm-hmm. and, and that story is because 
in a, it's such a powerful and stark way, he chose to view his enemies mm -hmm. as image bearers. And the, 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 the line that stuck out to me, which, which, what, which of his works was that quote from? Several people asked me that. I found it on um, a website that uh, was called the Arresters of War. Okay. Uh, in trying to do some research, some people said that it came from his famous sermon, Loving, Love Your Enemies, okay. that he preached to Dexter Road Baptist Church. Um, I, th I think might be in Birmingham, but, uh, but I got the church right. But when I read the transcript of that sermon, that stuff was not in there. Hmm. And I'm like, hmm, that's interesting. And yeah. so uh, one sermon that I, one version of that sermon, Love Your Enemies uh, from Dexter Road, said that in posting this, that Martin used a lot of these themes that he um, uh, uh, took them out of a speech that he gave at uh, Rankin Memorial Chapel in Howard University. Hmm. Uh, and so it, almost like the, the sermon that he preached came out of the lecture he yeah, gave yeah, yeah. at the Howard University. And, um, and so when I went back to that talk, there's where that, that paragraph came from. Gotcha. And so um, um, it's so powerful. Yeah. It's just um, in so many ways. The, the line that really stuck with me was, let's see if I can reproduce it, where, where he was sharing how, and we will wear you yes. down with yes. our ability to endure suffering. <laughs> and our victory will be a double victory for in in our endurance, we will win your your hearts over as well. Yes. I mean, I just I was like, if you I can be kidding if me. There's a, there's a word <laughs> if that says a word that's so Jesusy. Oh yeah, <laughs> that is. I mean, and, and I, some people can't hear Martin Luther King because they uh, they they all want to talk about is that he had an affair, you know. So sure. they somehow want to you know get rid of his powerful words because there's a, a sin in his life. Well, what about you? There's Send in your life, yeah, you know. Yeah. We, we talked about this a little bit as a life group. There's there's controversy in that, but let's not allow that to detract from. I don't hear anybody saying I don't read mm -hmm. the Psalms because David had an affair with Bathsheba. True, you know, or or David's Psalms should not be in the canon of the Old Testament because he committed adultery and then committed murder. I've never heard anyone make that argument. Oddly That's enough, right. um, but uh, you know, it, a lot of people don't realize that that the whole um, civil rights, I don't even want to call it civil rights, the whole um, movement of, of restoring the dignity to black Americans, black people, came out of his um, reading of the Sermon on the Mount. Hmm. It came out of his listening and following Jesus, which, by the way, the same thing is true for Mahatma Gandhi. Oh, really? He was blown away by the Sermon on the Mount hmm. and was absolutely in love with Jesus until he began to meet Christians and saw the gap. And so one of the famous quotes about Mahatma Gandhi, Gandhi is that he would be a Christ follower if it wasn't for so many, for the Christians. Interesting. That's one of the famous quotes about, about what he said. Uh, but before he met a bunch of Christians, <laughs> he, you know, was captivated by the teaching of Jesus on the hmm. Sermon on the Mount. And Interesting. Yeah, so that that teaching has, you know, those are two pretty big movements. Yeah. And both, by the way, nonviolent movements. Right, and that that's kind of the point I was getting toward, is that both Martin Luther and, and Gandhi, you know, now that we've brought him up, they interrupted this cycle of violence. Mm-hmm. 
Um, they broke the chain of evil. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They, they broke the chain of evil by, by choosing to yeah. uh, not respond with evil. Yes. We're and, going to talk about that this, this Sunday. Yes. Yeah. Well, so th- this was one of my questions that yeah. will be a cliffhanger. But how did – obviously, they are reflecting – well, maybe not obviously, but – they're, they're reflecting on the te- teachings of Jesus. Oh, yeah. But Jesus did not just teach on this. He, in himself, was the ultimate Absolutely. interruption Absolutely. to the chain of evil or, or the cycle of violence. So I don't know. You, you may, you may want to yeah, save that for Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that's one of my favorite because we, you know, for me, I, I love good stories, but I love when those good stories are a reflection on the great story of Jesus. Well, since you love good stories, you probably you've heard the name Leo Tolstoy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he is, I think, the first guy that used the idea of breaking the chain of evil. Interesting. Of all people, huh? Yeah. Check, trace, trace that out, and it's uh, yeah. Oh man, I got homework. <laughs> but uh, suffice it to say, you know, the, these ideas of of the the reason that maybe suffice suffice it to say this: the reason that Jesus was able to do that is in part. Um, because he humanized and personified it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he personified it, but also he was able to view people as folks who were worth saving. Yes. Folks who were worth forgiving. Even Romans. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So I'm excited to, to continue that conversation as we, uh, continue reading, reading in the word, those sorts of things. Mm. And maybe we'll, uh, kind of, as we round third, another question I wanted to ask just in practicality, or as we're thinking about how can we apply these teachings of Jesus, we've talked about how we need to identify our enemies, and you talked a lot about how we can identify our enemies. Mm-hmm. But I wondered, who, who are folks, or are, are there are there groups or are there people who, who it's you know, we we want to pretend like we don't have animosity toward them, or they don't mm. have animosity with us, or mm. or or groups of people who. Like for for example, there were some times where you said these are not our enemies. You know, what, you know th- this group of people you might think that they're your enemy. They're you're, they're not. Yeah. Can you help us to just talk more about that rubric, or more about how can we go about identifying enemies? Well, I mean, when I said that, I'm almost positive I was um, saying, for instance, like the LGBTQ two plus community right. are not our enemies. Now, I'm doing two things when I say that. Number one, uh, I am. Um, confronting those Christians who would make LGBTQ uh, folks their enemies and who do. I mean, there there are people, I was in Washington, D.C. I don't know if I've ever told this story in the cutting room floor, but I've told it to you. I was in Washington, D.C. one time and I ran into this protest and uh, these guys and gals from a church in Westboro, Kansas, and um, I had just left Kansas. By the way, I was I lived there for fourteen years, hmm. so I knew about this church, and uh, it was called the Westboro Church of God in Westboro, Texas or Kansas. And Fred Phelps was their famous pastor, and he taught his people to protest at funerals and at other public gatherings where a homosexual had died or where there was some sort of a public gathering, and he, he would literally put on signs. We've seen them. God hates fags. And when I saw these people in Washington, D.C. with these signs, I confronted them. <laughs> Man, he was like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, 
I was just angry. Yeah. Have I told this story? To me, you have, yeah. but not, not on the podcast. And, um, and I got into a, a verbal, you know, argument with them. And my argument was, some, this is kind of silly now that I think about it. I was trying to defend the character of God. Like, do not, you know, connect God with your hatred, that God does not hate fags. And, you know, they came back, blah, blah, you know, with their, their lines. And, you know, you know, the Bible. And I'm like, well, you don't know God. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, but unfortunately, there are church going people. I just changed it from Christians to church going people. Mm-hmm. There are church going people who do hate homosexuals, who do hate lesbians, who do hate transgender people. And uh, I don't know how they read the teachings of Jesus and live with that. I think somehow they, they feel that, that, you know, um, that person is, is, you know, a personification of evil. And so, you know, they need to be hated. I don't, I don't know exactly how they do that, but they hate them and their hate may extend to other groups of people because haters hate you know, and so, you know, I, I hate other countries. I hate other cultures. I hate other races. I, you know, it just goes on and on mm-hmm. because hate begets hate. And I think a lot, you know, I just referenced earlier parts of the conversation. I, I believe that a lot of it has to do with a feeling of being threatened or overtaken. I think sometimes. Um, that, I, that can, can be. Definitely. I, I haven't studied their their biblical arguments well yeah you know i, I mean obviously i know the scriptures about that, that deal with homosexuality i think for for sure that comes up in uh immigration hate mm-hmm. you know there is this this terror that uh you know look how many people are crossing the border every day you know they're taking over our country you know and i suppose if you were to extend out that kind of you know border overrun over years and years and years you could get to that but I think those people forget that we are a country of immigrants. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's true. come on, yeah. where did America come from? You know, we used to celebrate Ellis Island, you know, yeah. <laughs> and now we're using that very same argument to get rid of those, you know, we're those. Yeah. That's who we are as America. That's what, you know, <laughs> we're a melting pot. So, uh, but I, I think you're exactly right, so especially in the immigrant argument, that fear that they're going to take over or that, you know, I'm going to lose my place or, you know, something like that. I think- yeah. That's for sure, and that kind of immigrant. If there's, I don't know. Is there a phrase called immigration hate? Did I just invent that? Um, I haven't heard it used like yeah, that. There's, there is one. There is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, if it's not been used, that's that. That's a real right. thing. Yeah, because I, I think the a lot of times when we're our our re- responsive hatred can come out of a place of fear. Sure. It can come out of a place of, well, look what they're doing or, you know, what are my kids going to, you know, how, sure. I need to protect my children, these Absolutely. sorts of things, which just like a lot of our reactions can kind of have a core, <laughs> core fears fear of, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> we talked about yeah. that earlier, but, um, suffice it to say, it, you know, in, in the midst of all that, th- this is why I believe Jesus's teachings mm. are so necessary and so revolutionary. Yes. That's a good, I'm glad you used the R word. Yeah. B- yes. Because even though I mean, maybe we can re- recap the whole podcast here. Even though he, he was, uh, you know, not the only person saying these sorts of things, 
in 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 in, in, in individual phrases, even though we have these tendencies. Uh, th- these are the, these are why Jesus's teachings become so powerful because he packages yes. them together to yes. confront our nature mm-hmm. and to draw us out of a way of relating that has so much to do with self-centered sinfulness mm-hmm. and into a way of relating that has it's countercultural it's counterproductive in the ways that the culture wants to be wants to be productive and that's one of the things i was trying to do in the sermon was to to get to that mm-hmm. and to to and challenge people to you know address the question who are my enemies right. instead of rushing to well i don't have any and and maybe somebody literally could do the exercise of you know, going through those five things, and re- and saying no, I don't have enemies. Okay, yeah. great. But I think a lot of people who don't think they have enemies have them. Right. And um, or they're on the way to becoming enemies. Hostility is starting to form. Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, as as we're kind of just offering some closing thoughts, as you think about this sermon series, mm-hmm. what what sort of things do you hope mm-hmm. get produced in folks or do you hope stick with folks or bother them out of this first sermon as we continue to learn? I, I several things um, come to mind. The first thing is to, uh, I said this in the sermon to really attend to the words of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, not just the teaching of Jesus and for sure, not the summaries and sermons about Jesus but to attend to the words of Jesus, what he actually said, and, and to wrestle with them. Mm. Uh, that's, that's one of my um, big goals. And then, of course, secondly, is actually the name of the sermon series, that we would expand our circle of love. We would that's love right. like Jesus. Yeah, That's my, kind of my ultimate goal uh, with this sermon series and maybe my whole ministry is that <laughs> we would love like yeah. Jesus. Yeah. And uh, I, I think his revolutionary words and in, in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, if we don't rush through them, I was joking with you earlier that, you know, I know a, um, past, a lot of pastors that would teach, you know, one sermon on Luke 6, 27 to 49, mm-hmm. or maybe 27 to 36. And, you know, we're, we're doing like, we're going to do six sermons on 27 to... Um, 35 or 36. Yeah, 36. So uh, why? Be- because it's, when we gloss over the words of Jesus, we miss so much. And one of our problems with as disciples of Jesus is we're, we're not, I don't think we're, we're sitting with and living in and marinating in, you know, the words of Jesus enough. And so they lose some of their power hmm. because they just, whoop, it's, you know, because it's just uh, well, there's a guy named Larry Crabb who's one of my favorite authors and has mentored me from afar. And when he when he would teach, he's dead now or more alive than ever in heaven. <laughs> but um, he his he spoke with his his um his sentences. Every sentence was dense, <laughs> and I I constantly want to just stop him and go. Can we just think about what you just said? <laughs> Don't say anything. In the next sentence equally dense and just. Powerful, deep, profound, and he would just stack these dense, profound sentences one on top of another, and you're just like, kind of, you were like, oh, and then oh, and uh, oh, and then you're over, you know, you're so you're in wonder, and you're in, and then you're engaged, and then you're you're hear another one, and you kind of get discouraged because I want to spend time thinking about that. I think that's what happened when when people heard Jesus, mm. they were in awe at what he said, and then the very next moment, 
you know, overwhelmed by, you know, you keep saying things that are just so mind boggling and I can't process them all. And um, I think that's one of the reasons why we don't have any talks of Jesus that are 40 minutes. <laughs> and, you know, maybe he did speak because there's a couple of times where he says he spoke all afternoon to the, the crowds, sure. you know, and it's hard to imagine people coming 10, 20 miles to hear a five minute talk, yeah. you know, but, um, you know, we have summaries of Jesus' talks, but uh, I think one of the reasons he uses parables, not just my opinion, but other people think one of the reasons he uses parables is because they made people think. They weren't made to be a teaching with closure. They were made to be a teaching that provoked you to think. Yeah. And he left you hanging, <laughs> which is brilliant uh, communication style in itself. Yeah. Which is another podcast. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And I, I, I'm sorry for rambling. I just oh, get... no. that's. I think that's wonderful because we do want to be, to quote Paul, stirred up yeah. toward love and good deeds. Yes. And I, I pray that that's what the words of Jesus always do to us, that we never become Amen. trite or, or uh, lackadaisical with the things that the Jesus who came with a limited period of time to die for us mm -hmm. wanted us to hear. Yeah. And then <laughs> the things that God, by his spirit ordained to be recorded for us out of the sayings of Jesus. You know, this is, uh, this is really significant work that we're doing. So, yeah. and I, and I pray that it leads us in that way. It is one of the biggest arguments for slowing down the words of Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to slowing down in this sermon series to expanding our circles of love and to doing it along you guys. Thanks so much for those of you who made it to the end of the podcast. We, we love having these conversations. And if you're enjoying them, leave us a like, leave us a little review, let us know uh, something that stuck out to you and continue sending us your questions to podcast at opendoor.tv. We would love to continue bringing you guys in Absolutely. to have the conversation with us. <laughs> but until next week, we will go ahead and sign off. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of the Open Door Cutting Room Floor Podcast. But don't let the conversation end here. Find a group where you can deepen your roots at connect.opendoor.tv. And don't forget to submit your questions to podcast.opendoor.tv. Have a great week, and we'll see you Sunday.